Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here for a second episode of the Boxing One podcast this week. And look, our man Rafael Barlow wanted to come on and, and make sure we have a conversation about this early entrant withdrawal deadline, which, as we are recording, is about two hours away from coming to fruition. So we're going to break down some of the decisions made here today over the last couple of days, who's staying in the draft, who's going back to college, really what went into the decision, what we've seen or heard out there on some of these prospects. But there's no one more tapped into the, the draft community right now. And, and quite frankly, nobody who we're happier to have back on this podcast for a second time than my man, Raphael Barlow, the gold standard in NBA draft coverage. Raphael, how you doing, my friend? Man, I got a lot to live up to with that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> the gold standard? Gold standard. Oh, man, I'm doing great. I think the last time I, I did this, I had just moved to Barcelona. Right. And uh, we, we uh, had to figure out a way to, to make it work as far as uh, the time and the schedules because of the time difference. So this has been a little bit easier as far as getting things matched up. And I enjoyed the last episode. I mean, you know, it's like a real draft conversation. And at, at this time of year, I started like trying to do as many podcasts as I can because there's been a lot of requests, but you know, you're, you're a guy that covers the draft year round. So it's, it's almost like I'm at home in a sense. Like it, it's a, um, you know I mean? Some of it are, are, and it's not a knock on them at all, but a lot of the, the requests are guys that just cover the NBA during the season. So now they're trying to cram draft information for their team. And um, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it, it to me, I mean, it's fun. It's always fun talking basketball, but I really enjoy talking draft with like a guy that just eats, sleeps, and breathes the draft also. And it, it is a difference. Yeah, well, and, and it allows us to get into the weeds on some of the more niche stuff out there, right? Not exactly. necessarily mainstream hits, but we're going to dive into the deep sleepers, the, the stuff that affects the margins of the draft. And as we all know, championship-level teams and even highly successful ones in the NBA – they thrive on finding these gems, these diamonds in the rough, somebody that comes in out of nowhere and impacts their team. And, yeah, and that's, the Jalen Brunson's, the Dorian Finney-Smith's, yep, the, the Grant the Williams. Yeah. yeah. All of yeah. these guys, like every, every team that's successful, he tends to find one or two of these guys, and that's how they elevate themselves from being right on the cusp to, to where they, they end up knocking on the door of a championship. So that's why this process of, who's staying in the draft and who's withdrawing and going back to college for another year is so important. It affects those guys because either they're going to stay in this draft class, potentially make money or move back a year and, and be considered in 2023. And that has ripple effects for now who goes in those 60 overall picks on draft or excuse me, 58 this year. Uh, yeah. and, and then the, uh, the two way contracts and, and everything from there. So other guys will slide up a little bit of a notch as we see five to 10 prospects who are right on that borderline of being drafted, make the decision to go back to school. So uh, again, as we're sitting here at, at this time of day, there are two players that have not formally made their decision at the time of our recording. Uh, Trevor Keels out there. We've not seen any news come out on Keels and Leonard Miller, who is kind of debating right now between going to stay in this draft or moving to the G League Ignite. Raphael, any thoughts on those two, either advice that you would give, how you expect this to play out, or just where the draft stock really is right now with Miller and Keels? Excuse me. Um, 
You know, what kills, he was a guy that I thought was all in until this morning. I received a um, a a call from an agent, and I think his client worked out with Kills. And he had mentioned that Kills was was on the fence. And so I he would he wasn't one of the guys that I would have thought was on the fence, um, which is weird because I would have thought Turquavian Smith was all in. Right. And so I, I just kind of heard the story behind his decision there, which is basically, you know, looking to make a Javen, Jaden Ivy type jump for next year. And that's kind of been the the goal for him. I mean, it's, it's definitely a gamble. But I guess it's less of a gamble with with NIL money. So, um, I mean, I don't I don't know what what he got in NIL money, but it, it does kind of soften the gamble a little bit when you can you can get paid. And I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be like preseason first team All America and all that. So I mean, he's going to have some opportunities to to really put some some money in his pocket and improve his draft stock. And then Leonard Miller, I mean. I just after seeing him at the combine, he just looked like a fish out of water. I mean, he just looked so lost compared to the other guys, which is totally understandable. I mean, he's young. It was a huge jump as far as experience and competition. After the combine, I would have said, "Okay, this guy's going back to college. And um, and and here we are. I I think it just kind of makes sense for him to do the G League Ignite route simply because it's a. It's a definite path to playing time. The money, the, depending on what he gets, I mean, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know if it's ever been officially released how much they make, but I imagine it's more than what he would make as a second round pick. And then, based off of what we know right now, the Ignite team only has Scoot Henderson so far. So I think this makes the most sense for him to take the ignite path as opposed to stand in the draft. Yeah. I, and I certainly agree with that with Miller. Um, he just, he did not look ready uh, from everything that we saw at the combine, other Intel that we heard there, you know, the, the Trevor Keels decision is a really fascinating one to me because a very up and down season in, in a lot of different ways came out of the gate, super strong in that opener against Kentucky and then blended into the background on such a really talented Duke team like my eval on him was really based on I love the frame I think he's a pretty good passer and 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 ball handler decision maker the shot was really there in high school and in AAU and it just he didn't make as many this year with the Blue Devils I don't know if he gains much by going back to school other than increasing his shooting numbers and is that going to be enough to launch him into the top 20 of a draft where you really get the return from uh, the security of being a top 20 guy, as opposed to maybe on the fence of the first round, which is kind of where he's slotted in a lot of senses right now. Yeah. I I just haven't been as high on kills as others. I remember at one point, everybody had him as a first round pick on different mocks, you know, as early as what November and December after you got off to the hot start, I guess maybe aesthetically he's not, someone i mean i think we all have guys like visually and styles that we like right there's some guys that like oversized ball handlers there's some guys that just you know it's like a style and so i actually talked to a an agent today about that and he was saying how there's you know he, he he believes in swinging for the fences and then there's a typical style player that he likes 
and he mentioned some guys he would have missed out on because he doesn't like their style of play, guys that are very productive NBA players. And it, it made sense to me because that's how I feel about kills in a sense. I I, I don't think he's a going to be like a really good shooter. I think he is a guy that can kind of get to the basket because he's so wide and so strong, but I don't see the vertical pop that's going to allow him to finish against length. And I think there's a role for him. I just don't know exactly what his role would be, but I think that if he does decide to go back to school, it's kind of risky in a sense because Duke has a pretty good class. Yep. He could end up getting lost in, in that particular class. And, um, you know, I'm sure the guys that went there weren't expecting him <laughs> to, 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 to be around. So that could be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, man, I think it's going to be, I don't know. I think at this point, like when you wait this long, is, does that usually mean that you're, you're, you're going uh, back to school. You're one foot out. Yeah. Um, and again, as we're recording this year, we'll probably see either while we're recording or shortly after what the decision is. This is our kind of projections at time of recording because we have not heard definitively. Uh, you mentioned Terquavion Smith during that, that little introduction there. You know, I was pretty certain he was going to play himself or had played himself into a top 20 pick and was surprised that he made the decision to go back to school. You were at the combine. You've been around with some of these guys. Are, are, are there any decisions of players who are going back to school for another year that you say, wow, I really just, I'm surprised by that. I thought he was going to cash out now while his stock was pretty high. Yeah, it was Terquavian. But from what I was told today that he did have plenty of first round buzz, but I guess there was a, a number that he did not want to go below. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't guaranteed to go below that particular number, then it just kind of makes sense for him to bet on himself and, um, and, 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 and try to put himself in position to go into the top five next year, which um, everything I've heard from teams was that they loved him. Yeah. And so um, I, I do have some, some contacts that are pretty, close to to that situation and there were some teams that that really wanted him and and you know he was told like he's not going to be around at that pick so I I don't I didn't get the exact number but I do know there was a certain number that he did not want to go below and so I guess he didn't get any guarantees and um, you know here we are he's going back to school for sure and then I also heard like the the blue bloods were really really trying to get him to you know to switch to and I, i'm pretty sure like with, with at this day and age i'm pretty sure with some hefty <laughs> hefty offers but he, he chose to go back to nc nc state and uh and, um, you know the person that was connected to the situation told me he's just a really loyal person and uh and he was comfortable there and he didn't want to switch to you know the school i think what i was told was nc state was on him at when he was 15 15 yep yeah, I heard the same thing. And yeah. so he didn't want to, you know, turn his back on the school that, you know, that was one of the first to reach out to him. And I think that if you're an NBA team, you love that. You love yeah. the loyalty. You love the the buy-in that he has and kind of rewards both the, those that have invested in him and that he's willing to bet on himself to say, you know what, 
I, I appreciate that you think I'm maybe a top 20, top 25 guy, but I'm better than that. And, oh, yeah. And one thing he doesn't lack is confidence. That's one yeah. thing he does not lack <laughs> is confidence. At all. Oh, man. So another one that came out later tonight that's pretty interesting to me is Marcus Sasser going back to Houston. Um, kind of a strange path for, for him this year because he got injured fairly early in the year. I think early January is when he ended up suffering a, a season-ending injury. And Houston was well on track to being a top five team in the country at that point. Yep. His first time showing up after that injury is at the G League camp or the G League combine. And he was clearly the best player there. Mm -hmm. Got the invite and the call up to the, the regular NBA draft combine. But because of the rehab from the injury, a wise decision to really shut him down from playing heavy minutes in the five on five scrimmage, just not wanting to overexpose his body to it. Um, you know, typically what we've seen are guys who are the, the best players in the G League combine end up playing themselves into the draftable position range. Mm -hmm. But Sasser here is doing one of two things, either betting on himself to get higher than that next year or prioritizing winning a national championship at Houston, which the team that they've assembled seems like it's going to be a, a definite uh, betting favorite at the start of the year. Do you have any strong thoughts on Sasser after being around Chicago the week that he he really blew up at the G League camp? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think he made um, a good decision. I was at his pro day, and I think he made a good decision to go back to school. I think Houston is going to be loaded. <clears throat> And I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but Houston did have a guy that was if he decided not to enter the draft, they had a high profile guy that was going to transfer there. And he decided to keep his his um, his name in the draft. And so either way, I think Houston was going to be loaded. But I, I thought Sasser made made a good choice. And um, he definitely got something out of the combine in a sense. Uh, and he, he benefited because other guys just chose not to play. I mean, 40 out of my top 60 guys didn't participate in the scrimmages. So I thought he helped himself there. And, um, you know, he, he probably made himself a, a situation or put himself in a position to be like a first, second team, all preseason, all American. And he's someone that scouts are. Not saying he came out of nowhere this season, but now they'll be more aware and, and he'll have more attention on, on what he does. So I'm definitely rooting for him. For sure. Uh, three other names, just real quickly, if you have any thoughts on them, throw it out there, who decided to go back to college. Two Kansas guys, Kevin McCuller and Jalen Wilson, and then Chris Murray returning to Iowa. Any thoughts on those three? Yeah, so I spent some time with Kevin earlier this summer. And um, so I was actually with him when he put his name in the transfer portal and just seeing like, you know, the schools that were reaching out to him and, and all of that. And he was in, he was at the combine and unfortunately he, he twisted his ankle at the, I think he was in the G league one. He twisted his ankle. He was playing well. He was doing really well in his workouts also. And so I think that there was a chance that he was going to put himself in position to be a second round pick and which is probably shocking to some, but um, I, I was, as I was around his agents and I was able to talk to him, I did some interviews and his agency did a really good job of putting his numbers into context and presenting them to NBA teams. I mean, they did like this thorough, like, uh, research about the limited floor spacing that he had 
and they put in context his numbers. They broke it down like all the other guys at his position, how the percentage of time they spent on the floor with guys that shot this percentage from three. And so they were able to really sell teams on what he can do on offense as a six five, six six ball handler on top of his defense. And teams were intrigued. He had a bunch of workouts. And unfortunately for him, he sprained his ankle. And so he was in a situation where even though teams liked him, he didn't really have the guarantees that he, you know, I mean, there's no, no guarantees. Even if you do have a guarantee, it's still, you can't like penalize the team for, for not following up on it. So he decided to go to Kansas and um, even, even with, him having a sprained ankle, he still had some teams that brought him in to kind of sit and, and talk with him, watch film. So um, he'll definitely have more eyes on him this year at Kansas. It's very interesting to transfer within conference. So I'm sure yeah. the, the the messages from Texas Tech fans are, aren't the nicest. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be someone that that puts himself in a better position next year. And then who was the other two guys that you asked? Uh, Jalen Wilson, also going back to Kansas. Jalen Wilson, Dallas guy. So I have been watching him play, um, you know, work out here in Dallas. And he's working out with a, a pretty good group of guys. So, so far that in this particular window, before guys went all over the country for the team workouts, it was like Drew Timmy, Jalen, um, John Montero was there. Um, Hugo Besson had, had been there. Um, Mike Miles from TCU. So they had a pretty good group of guys. So I think for Wilson, he made the right decision also. Yep. Yeah, I think the, the concern is the outside shooting. And then even at the combine, I thought he played okay, but I thought he was trying to do too much. I felt like every time he got the rebound, it was a grab and go or rebound and run. And I don't think that is his role in the NBA. So I remember sitting next to some scouts and they were like, okay, he's playing well. Then one scout was like, well, every pass he's making is he's only passing to Christian Brown. And a scout said there's they shouldn't allow guys from the same college to play on the same team at the combine because, you know, they can end up just helping them trying to, you know, pass yeah. it to themselves. In business for each other. Yeah. Yep. So the scout has said, like, you know, he just needs to rebound, play defense, sprint the floor and knock down open shots, not show that he can play point forward. So. Um, I think on one hand he he played decent, but I think there were some scouts that felt like he wasn't playing the role that he he doesn't understand who he will be in the NBA. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, well, let, let's transition to some of the guys that made the decision to stay in the draft mm-hmm. because that's going to be for most of our listeners, those who are you know following teams and trying to figure out, hey, who who's my team going to grab with the fifty fifth pick? These are the guys that might be a little bit more in their wheelhouse and, and concerned with get to knowing. I'll tell you one decision that has always been fascinating to me from the very beginning is John Butler from Florida state, because his game is really, really unique. And I don't know what he gains at another year at Florida state. So I certainly understand some weight. why gain some certainly, weight. certainly gain some weight, but he'd do that anywhere else. It's just, is he going to do that before uh, signing an NBA contract, and does an NBA team need him to do that before they would find him draftable? The fact that he's sticking in this draft, um, you know, I, I quite frankly, I'm not sure where to project him if he's a draftable guy, if he's a flyer that you take in the 40s or 50s. 
just because he's so unique as a seven foot one three point shooter. He's basically a shooting guard. Um, what's your take on Butler right now and, and kind of the decision here to stay in the draft? Um, on one hand, I think he should go back to school. On the other hand, he may have not necessarily a promise or anything like that, but there are so many teams that have multiple picks that they could take a gamble on him. Uh, One rumor that I heard is that I don't know if it's official, but Florida State may be getting Baba Miller. I don't know if you're familiar with Baba Miller, the the kid from uh, Real Madrid. And so I heard that that could be a factor in whether he stays or goes because, um, you know, Baba could be a projected first round pick next year. Um, I mean, I thought, I thought John Butler played well at the combine or one, he survived a hit on collision with Kofi Coburn and yeah. came back and played. Those were the two guys that you did not want to see collide with each other. <laughs> so uh, he survived that. He showed some toughness, which, and I'll just get into I like John Montero a lot, right? John got poked in the eye, and he he didn't come back, and he didn't play the next game. And there was a scout that I sat next to that was extremely disappointed by that. Mm-hmm. He's like, you shut it down. You had six points in, like, six minutes yep. off the bench, and then you shut it down. And he was like, there's this kid that's 170 pounds that got hit by a Mack truck, and he decided to play. So I think that kind of – I mean, maybe impressed is not the best word, but I think some scouts paid attention to that. Why so many guys didn't want to play. The skinniest guy came back, played, and, I mean, I was there. I mean, they hit heads, and I saw Kofi afterwards. And uh, so funny story about that. I saw Kofi, and I I know Kofi a little bit because he was – he spent some time in Dallas. I said, man, you okay? He says, man, I think I got a concussion. He said – so if you look at the tape, when the doctor came, I ran from her because <laughs> I don't want them to look at me and see I have a concussion and I can't play because I really want to want to play. And so he had like this knot on his head and he was like, man, I hope they don't put me in concussion protocol. He's like, man, I got a headache. So I'm like, well, if you feel that way, John Butler's in pain. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so anyway, long story short. Butler played, knocked down shots, ran the floor. I thought he did everything that he needed to do to impress NBA scouts, and apparently he felt like it was enough to stay in the draft. I On my last mock, I have him as like the 60th pick going to the Pacers. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens because, man, I mean, if he goes to a team, I think Minnesota has multiple picks in the second round. That's the one I've been eyeing for him because they're, you know, Chris Finch is a pretty imaginative guy with his offense. I think you have to be kind of an outside the box thinker if you're going to find ways to to utilize John Butler uh, just with his skill set and physical uh, limitations, I guess we'll say at this point in his career. Yeah. And I sat next to some scouts and one scout said, man, I would draft him, but can you wait four years for him to play? Because he said he didn't, I mean, he's like seven foot, like 174. Yeah, that's what he measured out at. It's so 72 for all the the care and I have (laughs) no meat on my bone. So, yeah, I mean, my man can hula hoop through a Cheerio. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. Well, Raphael's we're sitting here. I don't know if uh, you got the Woj bomb here, but Trevor Keels staying in the draft. 
Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, staying in the draft. So, so my, my take on that is there's going to be a lot of agents that get fired. I think it's going to be a crazy situation after draft night because even if you just do the math, 40 guys chose not to participate in the combine. 40 out of my top 60, right? So I don't know how many guys are – I don't think agents are saying you're guaranteed a pick in the 40s. You're guaranteed – I think agents are probably telling guys – you know, you're guaranteed to be a first round pick. And I know I've talked to multiple agents and every agent has told me that their guy has a guarantee in the first round. And so, I mean, I can't say I've talked to more than 30 agents, but there are guys that, at least in my opinion, I could be wrong. And on multiple mocks and all that, that aren't projected as first round picks. And um, I just think that, I don't know, man. I just think it's going to be a crazy situation because there are going to be guys that do not get drafted. I think there's going to be multiple guys that probably feel like their first round picks that fall into mid second round. And now they're in situations where they may like, they may not even get offered a two way deal. Yeah. If you get offered like a standard second round contract or whatever, you could probably have made more money if you stayed in school depending on the school that you went to. And and that's the, the crazy part about this. Again, we lose two draft picks this year because of tampering charges. So we're down to 58 selections. Yep. Um, we have the extra incentive of the NLI stuff, excuse me, the, the NIL stuff that, that's really changing the landscape of college basketball in a lot of ways for guys to either stay or leave. And it seems like more people are betting on themselves after – tough college seasons, right? Like there were a lot of guys in this draft class who underperformed either in their one year in college or or their most recent year. And I'm thinking of the Patrick Baldwin juniors, the JD Davison's um, even Kendall Brown to a certain extent with how he finished the season, right? Uh, Caleb Houston from Michigan. Like there's just, there's a lot of guys out there. Peyton Watson can't leave him off the list in that regard. There's just a lot of guys who are super, super raw and are banking on kind of that name recognition that they had coming into college, carrying them to be a top 58 guy, which is all that matters in this draft. And you're right. Somebody somewhere is going to get burned from that process, whether it's one of those guys or somebody who's keeping their name in the draft right now, because their, their agent, their advising circle isn't nailing the, how difficult it's going to be to, to get drafted this year. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's 50-50, but I think the agents are probably saying in their recruiting pitch, you're a first-round pick. Yeah. You know, you're a first-round talent. I don't know how many guys are recruiting guys and saying, hey, I mean, you're, you're, you're a guy that's probably going to get drafted in the 50s. Come on out. And you know what? And that's probably smart because they know that they have money in college that they can make that's close to the equivalent of that. So the agents, they have to oversell that process. But it's malpractice because it, it's going to steer these kids into losing situations in some regard. Yeah. And what makes that a little bit easier in a sense is that most players are going to agencies that have big classes. And so if you're an agency with a large class, you know, if you if you sign five guys and you hit on three and two don't make it, 
And then one of the three turns out to be a max guy. You, 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 you know, it, it worked out for you. Yep. So that's where it is tough. And that's the part that being on a different side of the spectrum now where I'm at the combine and I can hear a little bit of the chatter. That's what made it so difficult for scouts just because they were like, you know, J.D. Davis and one scout said, J.D. Davis, I don't understand why he didn't play. It's like, what? does he feel that he did that puts him in position where he can say, I've done enough. I don't need to participate at the combine. Another name that came up was Patrick Watson. It was just like, why do you feel like with the season you had with the injuries and the fact that you didn't dominate mid-level or, you know, a mid-major conference, why do you feel like you secured enough to not participate in the combine? So it's kind of like, you know, it, it left people confused. And I mean, it left the scouts really frustrated with with the power that the agents have, which I don't really know a conclusion to. I don't know a way to fix it. And and then the guys who, in theory, should punish them for that by betting on themselves and playing well in the combine, like Turquavion Smith, end up withdrawing from the draft. You know, Marcus Sasser yeah. played well in the G League stuff, ends up withdrawing from the draft. So I, I don't know how many guys rose and separated themselves from the combine to punish all of the, all of them um, who made the decision not to, but there's just too many names that are in that range. Not everyone's going to be landing in, a, in an optimal or even uh, just landing in general in a spot. Um, yeah. Let, let's hit on a couple names here that made the decision to stay. And I know I mentioned the two Michigan guys, Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate. Um, just open the floor to you. Open mic night for Raphael here because you, you got more wisdom than anything we have here. What, what's your take on those two? I was shocked at Musa. I yeah, thought he that did. he should have uh, went back to school. And then for me, it's even more shocking because, you know, I, I, I maybe this NIL wasn't as big as I thought it was. I think at a school like Michigan and, you know, he, they they have a huge alumni. They have they have lots of money to where if you're not 100 percent sure about being a first round pick and. You know, I don't I don't know a situation, but if you're like in a situation where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm a first round pick, but I have an opportunity to make some money to take care of my family. You can make that money and improve your draft stock, you know, before you couldn't do that. So I I thought he should have went back to school. And with Houston, I don't think anybody really knows what's going on with that situation. What makes it really what's that? That that camp is tight lit. Well, it makes it very interesting for me. And I don't know if I've told the story yet. So I, I went to Impact in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, I've always wanted to go to Joe Bunasar's gym. And that's you know, just a crazy who's who on his wall of fame. So I go there and uh, they had a bunch of guys doing their pre-draft there. And then the week I got there, uh, like Bryce McGowan's left. I think he had some workouts in Brooklyn. Mike Foster was in that group. I had watched him in Memphis, but he left. So the only two draft guys or, you know, highly touted draft guys there were Caleb Houston and Blake Wesley. So uh, when I was I wanted to do an interview with both and, you know, it was approved. But usually if I do an interview, I try to not just come into the gym. Hey, I'm Rafael. Hey, NBA big boy, let's do an interview. I try to like film, try to talk to him. And the, and the good thing is usually in these situations, guys are at the gym multiple days. Right. So make small talk with them because I want them to feel as comfortable as possible when I actually sit down and record. So I was talking to Caleb throughout the day. Very great kid. 
great kid. Yeah. And what was interesting about him is that he doesn't have social media, so he knows very little about all the chatter that's going on, which I, I thought it was kind of Admire cool, in, cool yeah. in a sense. So um, we were just talking about like my just small talk. So I, I said, you know, can I can I, you know, film you working out? And he was like, yes, yeah. so I got footage of him, you know, lifting weights, shooting. And then on that same day, the combine invites went out. All right. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'll see him tomorrow. And he wasn't there the next day. So it was like, I don't know what happened that particular day, but his name wasn't on the combine list. And then the rumor was he was invited, but he opted out. And so that's when you started hearing, like, maybe he has a guarantee, yada, yada, yada. I don't know what team, like, I've tried to figure, like, what team would would make the guarantee I'm just as confused as as everyone else. And yep. so, um, but what makes that situation even more interesting is he is someone that his skill set that he's going to have to hang his hat on is his shooting. Yeah. And I don't think he's a great shooter. I think he has a reputation as a shooter. He shot 35% from three, which is okay. I And even when I watched him work out, he's a guy that... And it was kind of reflective of his season because, you know, like he got off to kind of a slow start and then he got real hot. Yeah, he's so and then when, when he got hot, you, I looked up and was like, oh, wow, he's shooting 38 percent from three. Well, this is what is expected. And then it went down and I saw that in his workouts. On one hand, you know, he said, oh, you know, OK. And then he could reel off 20 in a row. And then it's like, oh, OK, he's. But then if you like tallied up all the numbers, you'd be like, okay, he shot. He made 65% of his three-point attempts in this in this workout. So he gets there in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't I have no idea like what team saw something in him and was like, we need to make this guy a promise. <laughs> That's what's confusing me. Yeah. I again I don't think there was much intel leading to him going back to college from the beginning once he shut stuff down before the combine it seemed like he was staying in uh you know the diabate one is interesting to me because going back to michigan kind of stunts his growth a little bit as a a rim protector playing with hunter dickinson like the fit on that wolverines team would have been a, a challenging one i i almost thought he was the prime candidate for the g league ignite to try to go after a little bit and or get the portal yeah, I, I know everyone in the portal would be there, but you yep. know, a modern big man whose best traits are the defensive versatility of being somewhat switchable and having the length and athleticism to protect the rim, that versatility pairs much better in a professional type of setting than it does in a collegiate one where you know ball screen coverages and defenses that teams are deploying tend to be more about, we're just going to do one or two things and be great at it, as opposed to the need for versatility in the pro game. So yeah. I, I thought he would have been a great candidate for the G League Ignite, but uh, keeping his name in the draft. And again, he's he's betting on himself in that regard. A toolsy big man who, like everybody we're talking about in this range, like raw upside, didn't see the best version of him. Who's going to take the risk on, on banking that they can get that out of him? Yeah. And I probably should know the answer to this question, but if you do a year of college, are you even eligible for the Ignite contract i don't i I don't know because i I know the ignite players get paid way more than the average g league guy so yeah i think if you are if you 
if if you come out of high school, I know you're eligible for that type of deal. But I don't know if you are if you yeah. come out of college because if that's the case, then I mean, depending on what the deal is, sure. I mean, I've heard like half a million dollars, and, and then it, it's almost as much as a two way. So. Yeah. And financially, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know there are guys that are considering going that path. Like a F.A. Abajidi from Washington State has looked at going to the, the G League Ignite for next year. Now, again, I don't, I can't speak to the contract details, but yeah. I think that that's going to become an interesting path for these guys that are caught in the middle of, I don't know how much more I can gain at the college level to show a different facet of my game, but I'm not ready for the NBA. Can I just go that G League Ignite path and try to get one of the, and a VIP tickets to be seen by college teams in a more professional, excuse me, by pro teams in a more pro setting. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look that up. If, if you can do college and go to the ignite. Um, Cause I, I always thought like the, the purpose of the ignite was for the guys that right. can't enter the draft because they're too young. So I thought like if there was a player that could go from college to the ignite, it would have been Imani Bates because Sure. He still wasn't wasn't uh, draft eligible. So I, I'd have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one thing we'll fact check ourselves on here. Um, Raphael, I know we're getting to the end of our, our time here together. Are there any other prospects that made decisions or were on the fence through this process that you want to highlight here before we we shut things down for the night? The one that really caught my attention was Kenny Lofton. Mm. I thought that was very, very interesting. Now, I know he played well and but he's another guy that played well on the first day of the combine, then shut it down. And then, you know, it's like, okay, you shut it down. Do you have a guarantee? And then he stayed in school and it's kind of like very interesting. <laughs> like, I, I, do you think that he gets drafted? I mean, I don't think that he is going to get drafted. I think it hurts him in a sense that we lose two picks. Yeah. And I, it wouldn't shock me either if teams do some draft and stash, like they just draft guys that that they know aren't going to, uh, you know, come over this year. And so I thought that was very interesting. What was your thoughts on on Kenny Lofton? You know, I, I like, USA Savior Kenny Lofton, I should say. Savior. Savior. <laughs> um, I, I like Kenny Lofton. I have him right now uh, as we've updated our board today with some of the withdrawals i think i have him 76 on the board so like he's close enough to draftable range that i i find it defensible but i'm if you're going to take more of a developmental or a risky guy in the later part of the draft i typically don't want it to be a big i want it to be somebody that's more of a forward um or a, a john butler type yeah i, I think <laughs> yeah. that if if we're debating between those two guys, swing on somebody who's incredibly rare for what they provide and positional scarcity just takes me away from wanting to go after a big. Um, so I like Lofton just fine. And he's still, what I, I think, is he, is he 20 now or is he still 19? I'm not sure. I mean, I know he's young. I mean, yeah. he's, he's uh, young for his class. So we have it here somewhere. He is, uh, no, we don't have it, but uh, he's right on that borderline. And, and I think, a really fascinating decision from him, but more than anything, um, the trickle effect of what happens from the decisions today, I was surprised Lofton went in and made his decision that early, right? Not knowing how the rest of the cards are, are really going to play out with guys like Butler or Musa Diabate 
because I think they're slightly ahead of him in the pecking order there. And if they withdraw themselves from the class, okay, maybe Lofton rises up that list of available bigs in the later part of the second round. But with others that are ahead of him, I, I think it's it's going to be hard for him to crack the top 58. Right, and that's what makes it – I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's what makes it so interesting is that he made his decision early mm-hmm. as if, like, somebody said, hey, we're, we're, we're going to take you. Yeah. It's it's I mean I, I've said it over and over. This is going to be very interesting. I think that fifteen through thirty five in this draft, you can make a case to say it's kind of interchangeable. There's some guys that if they went sixteen, I'd be like, oh okay, that same guy. Like let's say Bryce McGowan's right. I'm just throwing out a name there. If he goes sixteen, I don't think anybody would be stunned. If he goes thirty five, I don't think anybody would be stunned. That's a huge range. And so if the range is that big for guys that we know are going to get drafted, then the range for guys that we don't know that are on the fence, it's going to be tough. Some guys are going to get left with with nothing. And every year, well, you know, I'll, I'll say this every year in the past last year, and it actually kind of changed my life. Last year was the only year that I remember a foreign guy got drafted and I knew exactly who it was, <laughs> you know, usually there's a guy that you've never heard of. And it's like, wait a minute, who's that? And so it was, it was a guy who was the last pick in the draft last year. I can't pronounce his name. Um, it's, it's, it, he's, he's Greek. It starts with a, yeah. with a K. Right. Yep. And yep. I oh, knew geez. of him because he came yeah. on my podcast in 2020, but he was not on anybody's draft board, not a single mock. I don't even know if ESPN had him in their top 100 and he gets drafted. So, I, I mean, it helped me out because when I did the live draft show and they mentioned his name, I knew exactly who he was. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, he has a twin brother, yada, yada, yada. And that's when people start reaching out to me. It's like, you definitely need to go back overseas. If you know who this guy is, <laughs> then, which, long story, but it, it, it kind of played a major role in me going overseas. Yeah. So th- there may be a few guys this year that are like that, that aren't on anybody's radar, that a team may say, Hey, he's two years away. We don't want to waste a pick right now. And I think those guys are going to boot some of these American college players outside of the draft. And now those guys are going to be looking at their agent like, what's next for me? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Raphael, uh, always dropping knowledge on us whenever you come on the pod here. Love chatting with you. It's been great to catch up, my friend. Let, let everybody know. What do you have going on over the next few weeks as we lead up into draft time? Where can they find you and find their work if they're not mistakenly not already following you? <laughs> Thanks for the for the love, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you can find me at Barlow500 on Twitter, B-A-R-L-O-W-E-500. I'm on the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. I'm the host. I do at least four or five days a week there, which is, which is a challenge. <laughs> and then uh, I took over for chat for it, which is still – you know, it's it's still something that I'm kind of blown away by. It's an honor. Chad is a legend in this game, and he left his uh, newsletter to me, and I got huge shoes to fill. And uh, so far, I mean, I think I've done okay with it. And so um, I, 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 I use a combination of what I did in the past. You know, before meeting Chad, I didn't have a lot of intel as far as, like, what's going on in the draft behind the scenes. But, you know, thanks to Chad, I've been able to – um, you know, get in some of those circles and have some intel. So I, I try to use a combination of the intel that that I have to kind of put in perspective of, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. But I still also use my picks. So 
if you like the fact that Chad had Intel, then I have a little bit of that for you. But if you also want to see like, you know, opinions and, and my thoughts, then uh, it's, it's all in there for you at, at uh, nbabigboard.com. So that's where you can find me at. I'm trying to put out as much content over the next few days as possible, next few weeks. And then for the actual NBA draft, I'll be doing a live draft show with Locked On. I did it last year. And, uh, you know, I mean, most people are going to watch the draft on ESPN. But one of the best comments that I heard from a front office executive last year was the NBA draft show on ESPN is great, but the host don't follow college basketball. They're kind of given notes and sense and you know what's going on other than like you know last year was schmitz and, and gavoni mm-hmm. and a scout or a front office executive made the comment that he felt like the locked on nba draft show was more resemblance of a team war room mm-hmm. where you're trading real dialogue on prospects and you you know like you actually know you're spitting this you know the information out the top of your head you know how they fit you know more about them so if you are like a, a huge draft guy, I would check out the Locked On NBA Draft live show. I mean, you don't have to watch it live, but I mean, you can watch the replay. And so um, I think it'd be really good. And that was last year. That was you and Chad. And was it John Corrales? Yep, it was me, Chad. So this year, <laughs> this year, so far, I just know it's me and uh, I got to replace Chad. So I guess I'm like the star of the show. Uh, that'd be pretty fun. Uh, you've you've earned it my friend uh thank you for coming on here always again good catching up and uh let's hope that the nba finals live up to the hype this year as well because this is this is a a fun time for just basketball fans right watching those games and and getting the most out of the experience so thank you all hoopaholics for sticking with us and and watching this episode of the boxing one podcast and a reminder for all of you to always hashtag ban the take foul